1: with a man who is literally changing the world and that man is Earthling Ed and I'm going to hit a tiny little next button and we are going to go live on Facebook and so I want to give everybody the opportunity to hear from Earthling Ed because Earthling Ed is a guy who is changing the world, not by coming from a place of like, I'm up here and you're down there and you're doing something wrong. He is coming from a place of, I used to be just like you. And then I woke up and something happened to me. And I was able to uh, change my life and and revolutionize my life. And, and literally, I would have to say, jump to the next phase of human evolution, and that's what we're all about, jumping to the next phase of human evolution. So uh, please introduce yourself, and um, I'm going to actually, Earthling Ed, Earthling Ed is with us in the house, is with us in the house, ask your questions to, um, and we're going to do this real quick. Um, I'm learning, Uh, just so you guys know, we have a bunch of new technology, and technology changes every five seconds, and that's good, but by the same token, um, it's um, a challenge sometimes, uh, because you have to constantly um, vegan advocate. Earthling Ed is with us in the house, ask your questions to, okay, there we go, Earthling Ed. I love that. And I want to ask you, as soon as we go live, there, we're going to go live right now. Donna, check and make sure the audio is working, would you? Um, we are live. And we are live on a Voice America Influencers channel. We are also live on Facebook with the one and only Earthling Ed. And we are so delighted to have him. I know he's tired because I know he was... Uh, at a vigil um, yesterday until very late at night. And I am very honored that he has uh, chosen to be here. Thank you for your patience, Earthling Ed. Um, We have people gathering on Facebook who want to talk to you. And uh, hi from the UK. Hi from the UK. Hope you can come to San Diego. Mirakander says, Earthling Ed is my hero. I'm an activist here in North Carolina. So Earthling Ed, tell us. Your story. Talk to us.
2: So my story, I guess it begins four years ago, almost to the day. Um, And I wasn't veggie or vegan. I came across this story. And it was in the, I think it was on the BBC. And it was talking about how this truck carrying 7,000 chickens had crashed on the motorway. And I remember reading this story and feeling really upset because the journalist was saying that hundreds of these birds had died on the impact alone from the crash. I think it was 1,500 of the animals died on the impact alone in total. But what upset me even more than that was the fact that there were hundreds more of these animals that were alive. They had like broken bones, they had broken wings, they were mutilated, their beaks were hanging off. They were alive, but they were suffering. They were in pain and they were bleeding out on the side of the road. And I remember reading this story and feeling full of horror at the prospect that these animals were suffering. But I had this kind of sudden realisation dawn upon me that, these animals could suffer. And I'd never thought about it in my life. I'd never considered that the fact that the animals that I ate had the capacity to suffer in the exact same way as the animals that I loved do, and indeed, just like I did. So I I kind of went into my fridge and I realized I had chicken breasts there and chicken thighs, and I had KFC from the day before there. And I felt like a hypocrite because here I was feeling sorry for these chickens, when the only reason any chickens were in trucks to begin with was because of choices like mine, the choice that said the animals should die for me. So that was kind of what spurred me on to go veggie. And then I saw the documentary Earthlings and I saw the magnitude and I realized just the severity of all the different ways we exploit animals. And I found out it wasn't just about meat. It was about dairy and eggs. It's about the products we wear on our skin and the clothes we wear. And it's it's so much more encompassing than just animal flesh. And I thought, wow, you know, if I am so many preachers to be against animal cruelty and I say that I love animals, then the only way I can truly live in alignment with my moral code is is to be vegan. So it became a very easy choice after that.
1: And I urge everyone to share this video. If you think that Earthling Ed's message is important, and I know it's important, I know that this issue, which is ignored by mainstream media, which is why I started Jane Unchained, is the most important issue of our time. Uh, I just wrote this morning to the New York Times in a comment section. I don't know if they're going to post it because a lot of times they don't post my comments after I disrupted their climate change conference where they <laughs> serve pork and chicken um, at Paramount Studios. Um, but um, it, they were talking about bearing witness, that, that journalism is about bearing witness. And so I wrote to the new publisher and I said, uh, and of course, it's a long line of sons, you know, and I said, Can you please cover Bearing Witness while you're talking about Bearing Witness? And I mentioned the Save Movement. And I was very polite. We'll see if they publish it. Probably not. But the point is that this is the most important movement of our time. It affects climate change. Animal agriculture is the leading cause of climate change. And the New York Times has finally been forced to admit that. Uh, you know, they're putting hamburgers uh, and hot dogs and all sorts of things and Uh, all sorts of animal products on their uh, page and their cooking segment all the time. But then they've also finally had to admit that it's a leading cause of climate change. And in fact, when they did a recent story that said, what can you do to stop climate change? The second thing was eat less meat. Uh, It should have been the first thing, but it was the second thing. Um, And they did acknowledge that it's it's, um, much more effective than what you drive, what you wear, your house, solar. Eating is the, the leading cause, eating meat and dairy is the leading cause of climate change. That makes it the leading cause of habitat destruction, wildlife extinction, human world hunger, because animals uh, eat far more than they produce as meat, and um, not to mention the the health problems that it causes with heart disease and cancer. Processed meat is officially carcinogenic. The pigs you saw going into slaughter are going to become bacon and hot dogs, and deli meat, that's cancer-causing. So how is it, Earthling Ed, the thing that perplexes me most, that the most so-called intelligent best and the brightest, which was, by the way, a sarcastic title, I read, the, I read the book and the first thing he says is, it's a sarcastic title, the best and the brightest. How is it that the best and the brightest are not getting the full enormity of the horrors of animal agriculture?
2: I think it's, we like to be uh, bury our heads in the sand and not claim responsibility for the actions that we make. And when you're raised into a society that indoctrinates you with a certain set of values, you know, the longer you live with those values, the harder it is to kind of overcome them. And I think what we choose to eat is so personal to our identity that often we feel that vegans are attacking who we are as people. And then our ego takes over and kind of rebels against that because we want to cling on to who we are and we want to make sure that we're not having who we believe that we are threatened by anyone. So we raise these set of values that teach us that these things are normal and natural and necessary. And because we've done it for so many years, we just presume that that is the moral and ethical thing to do. And I think the issue of climate change is it's so massive, it's almost hard for us to comprehend as individuals how we're having such a global effect because the actions that we make can seem so inconsequential and when you go into a supermarket and you pick up a piece of chicken or a piece of cow you don't think about all the plants that are used to to produce that meat you don't think about the cost of the animal's life you don't think about the methane emissions and all the other you know climate catastrophes that are encompassed in that piece of meat you just see the slab of meat in the supermarkets and what we need to do is empower people to make the connection between the product that they see and the impacts that it has, and when we do that, we can empower people to make better choices. But right now, people are deceived by these industries that want us to be, you know, want us to be ignorant to the reality of what happens, and ignorant to the, you know, the brutality of what happens in these uh, industries. So what we need to do is empower people, give people the knowledge and the, mm-hmm. the know-how to, you know, to see the the truth behind every single purchase in the supermarket. And then people can be relied on to make better decisions. But until then we're at the whim of these industries that have almost insurmountable amounts of money and could do almost what they want with it.
1: Well, I, what I think is so great about what you're doing and please, if, if you're on Facebook or you can call the, the radio station or you can ask questions via Facebook, I see a lot of people here uh, in uh, making comments, but you can also ask questions. And here, I'm sorry, the LASIK has worn off. Uh, what to do when invited to family events, when the family eats meat and I'm vegan? They give me a hard time. That's from Bonnie Medina.
2: Bonnie, that's a really difficult one. And it's, I think it's <clears> a thing that we all face, or many people face as vegans. It's one of the most common questions I get is about family and how, how to react to family. Because you know I think that the thing is where we go talk to a stranger you know, there isn't that worry that if the conversation ends well, we're going to have some sort of barrier between us because you're never going to see them again. But with our family, we're going to see them lots and lots and lots. We want to make sure that relationship is, you know, it stays unified and solidified. So we're always kind of very touchy to not offend our family because we don't want to upset them. Um, Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen the other way around. And as vegans, we almost put ourselves in the firing line from our family. And I think what we have to do is be super knowledgeable and learn as much as we can. So I think this is just a great thing for all vegans to do. But research as much as you possibly can, watch as many documentaries as you can, read as many articles, look at as many studies, read as many books, look at as many YouTube videos, do everything you can to learn all the information that you can. Because what we should expect is people are going to ask us questions. And it's so important that when they do, we know how to respond. Because if we don't know how to respond, We end up kind of almost solidifying their views that they have. And we need to do the opposite. We need to break them down and show them that the way they live is not moral anymore. And the way to do that is by deconstructing and debunking the questions and excuses they use. So our family are going to throw loads of different excuses at us. And the best thing we can do is stay calm and logical and just rationally explain why the ways that or the, the excuses they're using are incorrect and over time, like it's not going to be an overnight fix, but over time, when the more you debunk these excuses, the more it'll wear them down and the more they'll realize that what probably isn't right. So it's about patience and perseverance and knowledge and remaining you know, hopeful, keeping that courage. And even though it's hard and it can be really upsetting, we have to stay strong and keep the real victims in mind. And that way we can ground ourselves and keep pushing on with that message.
1: Jessica Beckwith wants to know, how do you remain so calm when speaking with stubborn and closed-minded people?
2: So, yes, yeah, a good question. I think so. The first one is the knowledge again. I realized quite quickly that when I got frustrated at people, it's because I didn't know what I was supposed to say back. So, if someone would give me an excuse, I didn't know what to say, I'd get angry at myself, and then I'd get angry at them for making me feel that way. So, the more again, it comes down to the more you know, the more equipped you can be. Because when someone throws an excuse at you, you can stay calm because you know exactly what to say. So when you've got the knowledge, the second thing to do is to practice it as much as possible. So I always say practice it like in the mirror, practice in the shower, practice with your friends, practice with a loved one, get someone to say an excuse to you, and then you answer it back to them. And then you've got to go out on the streets, go to some anonymous, the voiceless events, go to a vigil, do whatever it is you want to do. But get out there and practice, because the more practice you have, the more confident you'll be, the more confident you are, the more easy it is to advocate. And the other thing to do is to keep the animals in mind. Now, the animals need us to be as... Uh, effective as we possibly can be, so we have to evaluate what is the most effective way we can be activists, and and, and that is to be logical and be um, compassionate, be empathetic, but also be very you know to the point and very, um, I guess, very cutthroat in the way that we answer people's questions and we make sure that they don't have any room to move on the excuses.
1: All oh, so, right, uh, I want to uh, jump in because we have a question from Leanne from, um, it says Yora Hills, but I may have yeah. mispronounced that. Leanne, your question.
3: Yes. You know, I have a husband who eats meat, and it's very difficult. Um, we've been married a long time, and I, I know I changed the game about two and a half years ago. Um, but, you know, I mean, he's vegan-friendly, meaning he supports me, but I, I really want to, you know, I want to live a long life with him, and I'm having a difficult time kind of reaching him and making that, you know, that impact. What do you suggest for someone on an individual level like this?
2: That's a hard one. Partners are difficult. It's that family thing again. Um. I think there's going to be some. The beautiful thing about veganism is there's so many tangents and ways into it. You've got the ethics, you've got the environment, you've got health, and you've also got the human rights issues as well. And I believe that every single person in the world is affected or, or cares about one of those issues. I mean, we should all care about the environment. We should definitely all care about the animals, but even more selfishly, we'll care about our own health. So if you can try and pinpoint what it is that he cares about, which one of those tangents into veganism will spark his kind of interest first, pursue that. So it could be showing him forks over knives, or what the hell, it could be looking at how it could be finding good YouTube discuss certain topics like you know how famine is related to you know animal product consumption. It could be looking at how people are exploited within slaughterhouses to make animal products. So find what it is that you think will interest him most. Don't get too hung up on one tangent. Like if you've shown him graphic slaughterhouse footage, if you've talked about the ethics and he's not responding to it, then move on and try something else because even you know, even the most ardent activists that I work with now, they didn't go vegan for the animals to begin with. They went vegan for the health. And then over time it became an ethical issue for them as well
1: that is brilliant and people are saying um mary Candor says perfectly said i can convince strangers but not family there's a bunch of baggage that comes with family darby charvat says read somewhere that using the words plant-based rather than vegan could perhaps be more effective in getting people on board what do you what do you where do you stand on that vegan plant-based thing
2: I think it's interesting, plant-based is a dietary thing, vegan is a lifestyle thing. And my only issue is when we use words like plant-based to advocate for the lifestyle, we're diluting the message. So for me, I always stay strong when you start that word because we shouldn't dilute what the message is. But at the same time, different strokes for different folks. And if you've tried a family member and they're not responding to it, then change it up and try something else.
1: Well, I think you're brilliant. The reason is that, you know, my girlfriend, that snarky vegan girl who I think is watching right now, uh, we've had this conversation about love languages, Like, uh, for me, doing things is how I show love, like doing an errand or doing something. And her love language can be a little different sometimes. Um, uh, um, uh, Physical touch, um, personal gifts, there's actually a book that's been written that shows that different people have love languages. And what happens is they're expressing love through their love language, as opposed to what the other person can perceive. So if we apply that to veganism, you know, bashing your head against the wall trying to convince somebody to go vegan for ethics when that's not their language, mm-hmm. you've just opened a whole new universe. It's know your audience, yeah. know know who you're talking to, and it gives me some ideas about people who I have some friends that no matter what I say, and and they're otherwise compassionate people, they are shut down. And so you know, you've given me new insight. Is it's first analyze the person figure out what their values are, and then approach them from that basis.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, absolutely brilliant. We're going to take a very short break, but we're staying live on Facebook. So don't rip your shirt. Well, you can rip your shirt off, but um, (laughs) everybody can hang in. We'll be back on the radio in a couple of seconds, but we're going to stay live on Facebook.
4: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews.
5: Listen for In the Limelight with Clarissa Burt, international media celebrity, supermodel, and renowned beauty and lifestyle expert, as well as founder and CEO of Enveloper, multimedia platform for women and sought-after inspirational speaker on women's issues. You'll connect with Clarissa's super-influencer celebrity friends and experts as they speak about health, wealth, beauty, lifestyle, business, the love of giving, and the love of living a model life. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time,
1: It's time to elevate yourself and your business to the next level. What are the secrets of business success? Discover them on Key Entrepreneurs of Influence with your host, Kieran Sweeney. Find out who the business owners are that stand out in their respective industries and what they can teach you. The program contains valuable advice that can cost thousands through a professional consultant. Key Entrepreneurs of Influence can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern. on the Voice America Influencers Channel.
4: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: Are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to Jane Unchained News at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: We are here with Earthling Ed. We're so excited to have him here on uh, Voice America Influencers, which is also being simulcast on uh jane unchains uh, facebook page we've got a caller donna and i'll give you a hint it's that snarky vegan girl hi snarky <laughs>
3: hey hi guys hey. hey earthling ed um first hey, of Dad. all thank you for everything you do you are amazing um so i have a question actually it's advice um i've i've been put in a situation a few times where i'm around young children that are not mine i don't have kids um <laughs> And the subject of why I don't eat meat or why I don't eat whatever's there, desserts or whatever, comes up. And I get very uncomfortable because these aren't my children. So I don't know how to approach the subject of veganism, if it's even appropriate or not, with other people's children because it is kind of a difficult subject in terms of why I don't eat animals. You know what I'm saying? So do you have any advice on that?
2: I think it's always important to approach it, and especially if you're asked. Then that's a great opportunity to to talk about. It. I guess it's with different age groups. It's about how we speak about it. And I think it's so important that we're we're versatile. So you know, the way I, I speak to maybe a group of, of like you know teenage boys is different to how I'd speak to say like an older couple, right? So I think the way that we speak to kids is is, is so important. But I think it is important that we do do it if asked. I think. The thing about kids is, is they all love animals. Like we're, we're all born into this world, and we all love animals. We don't see a puppy as being different to a piglet. So I think when someone asks you, then that's a great comparison to make. You could say, well, you know, in the same way that I wouldn't ever eat, you know, a little puppy, why would I ever eat a pig or a, a cow or a chicken or a sheep? You know, and also children's TV and children's movies are full of animals. We you know, we want the animals to survive. You look at chicken run, for example, and we, we're rooting for the chickens, even though in, in reality, we are the ones that are harming those chickens. So a lot of what kids watch when they're younger is to do with animals. And you could always play on that card. You know, you could talk about I don't know, in the UK, we have a show called Peppa Pig, which is all about pig, and is so popular. So you can make comparisons to, like, relevant TV shows that those children might be watching that have animals as main characters and say, you know, we wouldn't want to harm these animals, so why in real life would we ever want to harm any animal? Um, and I think playing on, on on that card is really important. I mean, maybe not talking about the violence, maybe not talking about the, what happens in slaughterhouses or on farms, because that's obviously horrible and upsetting, but, but keeping it broader and just talking about how we love animals in general, I think is a powerful thing to do.
3: Um, And then if if I can just ask one more question related to that. Um, So I totally agree with you. And I think that that's a wonderful way to describe it. What I get concerned about is then the child then going up to their parent and saying, (laughs) why are we eating these animals? And then the parent who's not vegan, like I've had this happen, get really upset at me for bringing the subject up with their child. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it, just like you described. But then how do you deal with this rageful parent now who might be really upset that I've, I opened this, you know, box <laughs> you of told questions. You the truth. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. But now you, so do you see what I'm saying? Like it's a, do, it's a strange situation. it like this, I feel like the children need, have the right to know, but then yeah. I've got, then I have this angry parent to deal with. And um, so that's yeah. where my, my hesitation comes in.
2: I think, yeah, I, I completely can understand that. I think what, one thing we have to be careful of is, is making sure we speak the truth, even if it risks you know, the opportunity of offending someone. But at the same time, that doesn't make it easy because we don't want people to be angry at us. And if in that situation a parent does come up to you, I think you do have to be honest and just say, look, your child asked me, so of course I answered. Um, and I did so in the most respectful manner I could. And you know, people are going to be angry sometimes. We can't always help that. And it's not an easy situation for us to be in by any means, but we still have to speak the truth when we can. And I think that's important. And I know many parents who are turned vegan by their children, you know, mm, by the 10 year old yes. or eight year old children. So you never know that conversation you have with that child may actually influence the parent in a positive way. And of course, the positive would outweigh the negative. So even if you have like four parents who are angry, if you get that one parent who's changed in the end, that's still a, still makes the whole thing worthwhile.
1: And, you know, I think that one of the things that that is a fundamental truth about moving a society forward is you have to go into the discomfort zone. Mm. It's not going to be, as somebody once said, we're not going to change the world by being oh so very polite. And that's not how Harriet Tubman, uh, you know, saved the lives of uh, countless people uh, when she not only escaped slavery herself, but went back. And grabbed other people at the risk of her own life and put them on the Underground Railroad and all the people that were involved in the Underground Railroad risked their careers, their lives, their families Um, and I'll I'll never forget I was in Detroit to go to a veg fest and I it was outside Detroit So I told the cab driver give me a nickel tour of Detroit because I want to know that I've been here and he drove around and he showed me the cars and blah, blah, blah. But then he said, and that church is the last stop on the Underground Railroad before Canada. And it it hit me because I had heard about the Underground Railroad, but I never really understood it as a physical place. And then Canada was right over there. You could see the signs on the other side of the river. And that was where slavery had been outlawed. And so their, their, their goal was to get there. And I just remember seeing that church and thinking, Oh my God! These were—it hit me. These were real people that did real things. and took real risks, and that's how society moves forward. And when they took a risk, they risked their own livelihoods, their children, their family members, their neighbors. You know, you you can't move society forward without um, shaking things up and and um, taking risks. That's that's really what it's all about. So. Um, I know we want to hear from you and I I got off on a tangent, but I, I just remember that moment. Linda Wilkinson says, if you only have a short time with someone such as I was at a Buddhist cafe today, what would you say to plant a compassionate seed?
2: That's a good question. I, I I honestly really love the comparison between animals, like, because I don't think I've ever really spoken to someone who doesn't have some sort of connection to either a dog or a cat or a rabbit or some animal that we cherish here in the Western world. So I feel like that's a really strong comparison to make. It's completely non-judgmental. It's not, you know, it's not offensive or anything like that. It just causes someone to think about something they've never thought before. So that's a really good comparison. But so simple. I, it's so so simple. You can just ask someone. What do they consider more important, the life of an animal or their taste buds? And there is not one person who could honestly say that they value the taste buds more than life. Um, And that is such a fundamental realization for someone to have, because then you can say to them, look, well, don't you agree then that every time you go into the supermarket and you buy a product, you're actually saying the opposite. So you're living in disalignment with your own morals. And I feel that leaves like a very uncomfortable feeling in someone. And it's only two questions. It's super quick. But I think the realization it can leave on someone is quite profound.
1: I love that. I think that's great. And then uh, Satima Sanat, I hope I pronounced that right. We are usually sarcastically attacked by non-vegans. They are um, all about their luxurious tastes. What matters to them is primarily eating what they call healthy and they injure our emotions. We should deal very diplomatically with them. I try to be composed and calm. At the same time, we feel proud uh, that we're defending a universal cause. Could you shed some light?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, we, I mean, every time we speak up, we should feel proud because we are doing our bit. And I strongly believe that, you know, the vegan world that we want is inevitable. It's going to happen. But we decide when it's going to happen. Vegans. Right. And every time we speak up and have that conversation, we bring that when closer to the present, which is what we so desperately need to do. So we should be proud. Um, and um, I think. What was the What's the question? If you don't mind. Well,
1: I think it was probably dealing with sarcasm. Ah, dealing
2: with sarcasm. Okay, yeah, Yeah, right. So yeah, we're going to get sarcastic comments. So when people use sarcasm at us, it's because they don't have a a good point to make. And I find this every time someone's nasty to you, they insult how you look, they insult something about you, they insult, they use sarcasm. What they what they're inherently saying is, I don't know how to respond to what you're saying, so I have to sink to a level of of being insulting so take it as a compliment because it's a good thing because it means the way you're advocating right it means the way you're advocating is effective because if if you had you know holes in your arguments they would pick at that but because they can't instead they have to be nasty so when people are sarcastic just remain calm and composed and just keep keep knocking them back with calm logic and rational responses
1: and i want to hear about your tours you're doing a united states tour you also have a van uh that's very colorful that you go around the world tell us all about that
2: so yeah, the van is, um, we did a tour around the UK really recently. So myself and my partner, we made a documentary last year called Land of Hope and Glory, which is an expose of UK animal farming. We modeled it as kind of like a UK earthlings. Um, and so what we were doing is we were touring around the UK, visiting universities, and we were screening the documentary, doing talks, having Q&As about the film. So we visited about a third of UK universities in this in this van, which is wrapped with like vegan facts and pictures of animals. Um, yeah, and we just we just showed the film, and we just spoke about veganism. We spread the message to students because I strongly believe that it's the young people that have the biggest impacts you know, on the rest of this world. And if we can influence people when they're young and they're open minded and progressive with those kind of like more liberal values, and that's how we can really have a big impact into the future. So I think universities and educational facilities are great for that. Um, so that's what we've been doing in the UK, and now I'm here in the US doing a tour. Um, meeting the community. Basically, I just want to learn as much as I can, kind of absorb the communities, absorb what people are doing here, and then I can take it back to the UK and hopefully be a stronger and more well-rounded activist for it. So I'll do some talks and workshops, going to vigils, going to cubes, Um, basically doing everything I can just to spread the message and and learn on this experience as well.
1: So Ezra Frazier says, how do you protect your psychology when doing a work such as creating land of hope and glory? Did you deal with desensitate desensitization at all
2: Uh, yeah absolutely it it scared me it actually terrified me because i remember when you when you first start making it and you see the footage for the first time your reactions is obviously anger you cry you're upset you feel all those emotions but then over time when you've seen the footage enough and you can't see it as a project it loses so much of that you know um, mm-hmm. of, you know of, of that kind of realness and you just start to mm-hmm. see it as pixels on a screen and i became really disturbed because stuff that was upsetting me before no longer upset me and i realized i would mm-hmm. become completely desensitized to it and it is so important to me that i never become desensitized to these things because i never want to lose touch with those emotions that it makes me feel and i was really thankful that when we released the film I started to get upset and all those emotions came back to me and I realized that it's because I was viewing it as a project and because it was causing me you know, stress and worry as a project, I wasn't worrying about the footage I was seeing. But when I'd released it, I no longer had to worry about that. The footage started to impact me again. So I was desensitized for a time and then thankfully that stopped. And now when I see footage, I saw some footage that I've not seen before at a cube in LA the other night. And it it was just the most upsetting thing. It disturbed me so greatly. And every time you see that new piece of footage you've not seen before, it has such an impact on you and always reminds you of why you have to do what you do. It's the same with bearing witness. You you can see it over and over again, but it never loses that realness. It never loses just the violence that it is. And that's why it's powerful to to, to see these things both on the screen and also in real life.
1: Um, So um, actually, uh, someone wants to know, and uh, his name is A-Rod. He says meat glue is a substance that uses animal blood and other stuff that condenses into a powder that can be used to repackage meat and sold as a whole piece again. Um, what is your your thought on that?
2: I've never heard of meat glue before. Um, if it uses animal blood, then it's not gonna be it's not gonna be vegan and it's also not gonna be ethical because that blood has to come from a, a dead or exploited animal so i don't really know what meat glue is it's something i'd have to look into but from the, the description it doesn't sound great
1: yeah i think you know what i find is and uh, first of all i appreciate that question uh because when people are curious it means that they've got an open mind and exactly. so um thank you for asking that question a rod uh what I find is, you know, I'm in recovery 23 years sober is that everybody is always looking for what they say in the, in sort of 12 step, an easier, softer way. Right. Uh, it's gotta be some way that we can get around this no meat, no dairy where there's, Oh, exceptions. But the problem is that just like, there's really no way either you're sober, or you're not, there's no way to get around, uh, the idea of killing. Mm-hmm. You can't, And so that's why people go vegetarian, they say, well, it doesn't kill the animal to steal the mother's milk, but indeed it does. In fact, um, you've made the point that the dairy industry is perhaps the cruelest industry.
2: Yeah, I strongly believe that the dairy and egg industries are probably crueler than than the, just the, the meat industries because these animals still end up in the slaughterhouse anyway. But the point is they're alive much longer and they're exploited in more ways than the other animals that we eat just conventionally for flesh. So the egg laying hens are producing eggs the whole life. They're in barns and in cages and even free-range is a complete lie. You know, the dairy cows are forcibly impregnated. They have their babies taken away from them. And this happens year after year after year for four, five, six years. So their suffering is psychological as well physical and it lasts so much longer so you know this is why vegetarianism is 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 a kind of morally redundant standpoint to have and although people do it for good reasons it's just because they don't know the real truth And if you're a vegetarian for ethical or even environmental reasons logically you have to be vegan because vegetarianism is just as, as detrimental ethically and environmentally as it is to be non-vegan
1: and non-dairy alternatives are just cropping up everywhere in oh. fact i just read an article the other day where the cattlemen are very concerned that meat is going to go the way of dairy and they said that 10% of the so-called milk market has now gone dairy free. What are your thoughts on that?
2: these industries are slumping and the plant-based market is rising exponentially and this is this isn't a fad it's not even this is a trend that's going to continue this is just you can see you can look at it it's just going to continue rising and rising the predictions are very clear that you know, the plant-based milks the vegan cheeses the vegan meats are going to keep soaring at the detriment of the industries that exploit animals and, and it makes sense these industries are beginning to get fearful of that because the results are tangible and they're real and you go out on the street and everyone's heard of a vegan they know who a vegan is they have a family member who's vegan or they're vegan themselves. And even people who aren't vegan aren't buying as much of these products anymore. And these industries are afraid of that. And it's just going to continue. This is a movement that, that won't be stopped. The the importance of it is too profound and too monumental for it to be stopped. And with the number of people that are now speaking up and voicing their objections to the exploitation of animals, it just means that this is going to continue long into the future.
1: We're going to take a short break, but we're going to stay live on Facebook. So keep your questions coming. We've got a lot of questions... Thank you for taking a brief break, Voice America Influencers, and we'll be back in a second.
4: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live, wherever you go, on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
5: Broaden your mind.
1: Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing
5: itself. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network.
0: are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to Jane Unchained News at gmail.com. Now back to the
1: show. Welcome back. We're here with Earthling Ed and we were just talking about politics and it really Meat would be, and dairy, would be so much more expensive, triple, quadruple, even more the cost if it weren't subsidized by the taxpayers who then get sick and have to pay health care. And so we we basically, as somebody summed it up, there's a reason they call it the Food and Drug Administration. First, they feed you the bad food. Then they make a lot of money off of feeding you the drugs. And uh, if you try to talk about the health care system and bring in the actual issue of health and why people are sick you're dismissed as a quack.
2: Right. And the thing is, these industries are so powerful and they have so much money that they can pretty much dictate so much of what it is that we're told to do. So the pharmaceutical industries, they realize very quickly that there's no money in prevention. If you don't get heart disease, you don't get cancer, you don't get type 2 diabetes, then you don't need the medications, which means they can't make any money off healthy people. So these industries, the pharmaceutical industries, They need you to be ill to make money from you, and there's a reason why they have so much money, and it's because we're so ill. So we need to look at what is it that's making us so ill. What is it that we all do so synonymously that is causing all these problems? And it's simple. It's what we're putting into our bodies three, four times a day. So these industries are relying on us to to be ill, and they know that the reason we're ill is because of what we're eating. So they need to keep perpetuating these industries that of uh, producing foods that we eat that make us ill so there's this whole complex you know circle of corruption that goes to the highest level in, in parliament and in government so in in the uk for example we did a protest outside an annual dairy dinner which is like where all the heads of the dairy industry in the uk get together and they had sitting members of parliament attend that dinner where they wine and dine with industry officials in the you know in the dairy industry get drunk with them eat with them talk to them and for some reason we're supposed to believe that there's no deals going on. There's no shaking of hands. There's nothing. There's no corruption going on there, but they're in a place together, getting drunk, having these meetings and talking about the dairy industry. So th- this corruption is on every level. And predominantly what they want is to manipulate the consumers into fulfilling these financial demands that they need, which is why it's so important. We empower each other to eat healthier, live more consciously and no longer support these horrendous industries.
1: And what's so frustrating is that the very people who are being exploited by being targeted to fast food and then targeted to taking all these drugs are the most ferocious defenders of the sad American diet, the standard American diet. No, don't tell me, don't tell me. I And it's like, wait a second, they're killing you and they're making a huge profit off of it. And heart disease is America's leading killer. It kills one out of every four to one out of every seven people depending on which study, but one out of every four is, is a standard that's arteries to the heart getting clogged with cholesterol from animal and dairy products. I mean, it, it's meat and dairy. Uh, cancer is another leading killer. Processed meat is officially cancer-causing. That's how people eat meat. You know, hot dogs, deli slices, bacon, and yet those are the most ferocious defenders of that diet. So that's what's so frustrating. Now uh, we had some questions here. How long have you been vegan? Free uh, is and that I think of all the things that makes me thrilled is that because I've known a lot of professional vegans. I've been vegan about 21, 22 years. I wish I had my date the way I had my sobriety date, yeah. but I used to walk into vegan restaurants. They were empty and I knew everybody. I knew the waiters. I knew the one person sitting in the corner. The other day, Donna and I went to Sage and it was packed and we got a table. Finally, we sat down. I said, you know, What's so fabulous. I don't know a single person in this packed restaurant. Right. And so that to me is because those same old voices, including my own, it's not going to do it. We need the fresh perspectives. Mm-hmm. And you bring that. Um, and I just, I, I am so blown away that you went from, it's like zero to 60. You know, you, you woke up. And you didn't just wake up to your own behavior, but you woke up to, this has to stop.
2: I mean, I was vegan for maybe eight months or so before I, before I spoke up. And I was really worried at the beginning about being labeled preachy or militant or an extremist. Like, I was so concerned that people would look down upon me for being vegan. So I kept it really quiet. And then one day someone asked me this question. They said, well, actually, I was talking about cowspiracy. And she said to me, ah, but, you know, soy farming is really bad for the environment. And I'd never heard this before. And it really, I didn't know what to say. So I ended up not being able to say anything and it frustrated me so much because she looked so smug. Like I I remember Mm. her face clearly and it was like, oh, like I got you, right? And I thought to myself, that is such a horrible expression and I kind of made a vow to myself to make sure that I would never have that situation again where I didn't know what to say back. And I realized then how much I cared because what upset me is I knew that I'd validate her Meat eating and animal product eating ways. And I knew that from that moment, she'd go back and whatever she ate next, she'd do with an eased conscience because she kind of won up to me. Um, and I realized in that moment how much I cared about the cause and how much I cared about those who were suffering. So that's what drove me and drove me to kind of keep pushing and keep, and then start this whole journey, I suppose, of, of becoming an activist.
1: That is such a great story. Uh, and that whole soy thing, first of all, soy has been test marketed on the Asian world for centuries. They have lower cancer, lower osteoporosis, greater longevity, lower obesity, and and are healthier overall. And the only time they've begun to get sick is when they've adopted the fast food diet that has moved in. And the, the other irony is, because people go, ooh, soy, because the meat and dairy industry has demonized soy. Um, the other thing is that the vast majority of the soy produced goes into farm animals. You're eating compressed soy. When you eat farm animals, 85%, percent, yeah. 85% of all soy produced goes into soy uh, animals. Okay. So we've got a, a caller, Adam from Garita.
6: Hey Jane. <laughs> Hi, uh, earthling. And I, I just have a, uh, two things I wanted to say. Uh, first of all, Jane, I really appreciate all that you do for the animals and, uh, making people more aware of what's going on out there. Uh, if there was anyone I could uh, clone, I w- it would definitely be you, James.
1: No, that, and, you, that uh, would be your worst nightmare. <laughs> My worst <for laughs> it.
6: <laughs> and and, and uh, Earthling Ed, I, I really uh, enjoy your YouTubes and your uh, voice of compassion. Uh, I, I You know, one of the, the, I think the hardest part about being vegan is not the food or anything else except for dealing with family and friends and uh, seeing you as, you know, kind of the alien, you know, like the, the, the strange one. And uh, I just wanted to see if you maybe you had some suggestions about how to uh, explain to people who've been like, you know, so um, brainwashed by, by uh corporations that try to sell their food and and what have you
1: well thank you great question what do you say earthling ed
6: I think we just have to show the
2: objective truth. I mean, the, that's, the, that's the really great thing about being vegan is all we have to do is show people the truth. Now, these industries are relying on deceit and lies to manipulate and trick people. And all we have to do is counteract that by being objective and honest. So I think just by simply showing people the, the, the object reality, like show them what happens in slaughterhouses, show them what happens in farms, show them documentaries that are, are, are brutally honest about what it's doing to the environment and to our health. And it, you can't deny it because the evidence is... It, evidence is so heavily stacked in our favor. I mean, it's so much of what we, we preach has been so conclusively proved over and over again by the most highly regarded scientific and medical bodies in the world. So I think if we could just put that information across, and it may not influence people immediately, it, it, it often takes time, You know, especially the more right. indoctrinated you are, but if you remain patient and keep doing it, especially your family, perseverance is key, then you will see changes happen over time.
1: Wow. And I, I don't you. know if Armighty, thank you, Adam, thanks for calling. Armighty, yeah, yeah. Ar- are
3: you still on? Yes. Hi, Jane and Ersling Ed. Hi.
6: Hey.
3: Thank you for putting a spotlight on this issue. It's so wonderful to have this um, brought to the mainstream. I'm a veterinarian and one of the things that I see a lot is, of course, people loving their dogs and cats, putting a lot of time, energy and money even into helping them be healthy. And yet they oftentimes are eating chickens, pigs, and cows. So I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think we can do to inspire people's compassion for these other animals that are kept out of sight, out of mind, um, who also have compassion for the
1: dogs and cats?
2: I mean yes yeah, so you touched upon it when you said that they're out of sight and out of mind and that's the issue what we need to do is we need to bring them into people's sights and bring them into people's minds and, and show the animals that they eat as being individuals in the exact same way as the dogs and cats that they love we need to show the, the people that these animals feel they think they can suffer they have consciousness they have their own unique behaviors you know, we could even show people how intelligent they are not that intelligence really matters but by showing people that they're individuals and their own, own unique lives that's how we how we do it and that's why I love very. Witness, because you document the animals as individuals, they in those trucks, and you help people see the eyes. And when you see people, when you see the animals' eyes, you can almost see yourself because they're so alive, and that they really are a reflection of, of, of their life that they've had and the suffering they've endured. So if you can show people these animals, uh, sanctuaries as well. What a, what a great thing sanctuaries are, because you go to a sanctuary and you connect with the animals, and that's what we need. People connect with with dogs and cats because we see them every day; they're in our homes, or at our family and friends' homes. What we need people to do is connect with the other animals, the the farm animals, in the same way. So taking people to sanctuaries, letting them spend time with the animals, see how they can show compassion and receive compassion, but also taking them to vigils or documented vigils and showing their suffering because their suffering is so obvious. Um, So, yeah, let's put these animals into people's sights and into people's minds, and that's how we can change their perceptions.
1: All right, we got Danny in Portland. Hey there, can you hear me? Yeah. Hi, Ed. Hi,
7: Jane. How you doing?
6: Good.
7: Hi. Great. Um, so I'm just hopping on and I would, uh, you know, well, one is I want to add to, I just noticed yesterday that a lot of different friends, non-vegan friends had, uh, vegan, they were moms. They had their pictures of their, themselves with their dogs saying, you know, I'm a mom and, you know, happy Mother's Day to me with their dogs. And, and uh, these are people that I've done everything to try to get them to make the connection. So that was, that was painful. <laughs> anyway, um, I, Ed, one of the things that I'm curious about is what I'm dealing with more and more and more, and this probably won't be a surprise, is the whole permaculture, especially up in Portland. You know, they think they're even more evolved than vegans because they're at one with the land and that, you know, their own chickens And really smart people that I really don't know how to have conversations with to a point about the whole permaculture, you know, slash, if you want to call it, humane
1: washing. Great question. Any thoughts
7: on that?
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think we have to just show people. Um, people get confused by exploitation, and, and they think that only, say, factory farming, you know, has exploitation within it. And what we need to show people is that exploitation is fundamentally using an animal for something that they produce for us. So, you know, the issue, you know, hens that roam around, even though they may live a good life. There's still exploitation when we view them as a commodity for what they produce for us. Now, the, the thing is, we can produce all the plants that we need to sustain our healthy lives globally and feed every mouth on this planet without needing to worry about sophisticated forms of, of agriculture or anything like that. You know, We've grown enough food as it is. Um, so what we need to do is just influence these people who are already highly intelligent to see that these animals are not here for us to exploit it anyway and there's no humane way to take something from an animal when we don't need to Um, and fundamentally that's a very hard thing to get through to many people but as our consciousness and our mindset and our mentalities change that message will become easier and easier because it becomes so much more normal and accepted within society the place we're coming from now is still very marginal in the sense that it's not most commonly accepted yet, which means that these other systems like permaculture can be very appealing to intelligent people because they seem like a good compromise or a good, you know, a good way of kind of fulfilling both needs. But as that societal attitude changes and we realise we don't need to fulfill the, you know, the the need to take animal products, then that will make it easier to influence these people. Um, but what I like about these people is, is they, they have that thought pattern there and that thought process is in place, and they're open-minded, and they, they, they question the systems that operate. And fundamentally, that's so important because people that are questioning the systems, even though they might, might not have come to the right conclusion yet, are on that path to the right conclusion. And in many ways, they're almost easier to influence because we can rely on them to be intelligent um, and open to a different message.
1: Well, thank you, Danny, excellent question. And uh, we're just about out of time. Do you wanna give us a a little final thought?
2: (laughs) My final thought would be, If you're not vegan, it's so important that we are vegan. There's no excuses now. There's no necessity. There's no justifications. But if if you are vegan, you're listening to this, then the time is now for us to speak up because these animals need us to. If it was us in the farms and slaughterhouses, we'd want those who claim to care about us to fight and speak up on our behalf. So we owe them the same basic decency to fight for them as much as we possibly can. So we have an obligation to be active, an obligation to use our voices, an obligation to do what we can now to, to save the lives of others.
1: Well, Earthling Ed, I just want to thank you. I know you were at a visual till late last night. I know you probably haven't slept a lot. Um, You are just uh, so inspiring. You give me hope because, you know, your message is unique. The way you deliver it, there's something about it that gets through. And um, it's just it, it just makes me so happy because, you know, sometimes when I go to those visuals, I just get so overwhelmed with the horror And you help me see that there is hope, there is a light, things are changing. Thank you, Earthling Ed.
2: Thank you, Jane.
1: I love you too. (laughs) Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.